Addiction plays hardball. He would hit me with these verbal attacks. I just said to him, I love you so much. You're such an amazing person. I can't take this ride anymore. It was the fact that dad made that sentiment and broke down. And years later, he told me it had a huge impact on him. Sometimes doing what's right for your loved one is the hardest thing to do. Karen is that right thing. Visit CARON.org slash lost. Is America's primary system working? Is the Electoral College still the best process for electing a president? Could a third-party candidate ever be successful? In a new season of You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen gather the country's top experts to explore these issues and more as we approach the 2024 presidential election. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available now wherever you get your podcasts. Let the word go forth. Fool me once. Are you fired up? I'm not a crook. Are you ready to go? Shame on Shame on you. It's Abe Lincoln's Top Hat, hosted by Ben Kissel. Boom, we can't get fooled again. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Welcome to the show, everyone. I am Ben Kissel, joined by Marcus Parks. Hey, Ben. Hey, Marcus, do you know who we have here today? Who's that? The co-host of The Brighter Side hey. is with us as well, Ed Larson and Cena John. Thanks for being here, guys. What's going oh, down, I'm Ben? So excited. Yes, this is great. I, um, I, w- I just got an opportunity to be on the brighter side recently. We talked about being large, and I got a great response. A people lot, loved it. A lot of people called me fat. No, they didn't. They did. Who did? Nah, one person did. <laughs> you I only screen, remember the bad ones. I screen grabbed it, and I read it every morning. Yeah. Um, well, speaking of- uh, Do you screen grab the nice ones? Do I screen? No, I retweet those. <laughs> Let the world and know. then he forgets about them forever. Yes. The last episode, Marcus and I talked a little bit about the health insurance industry, ACA, AKA, Obamacare. We got some great responses in my email, so we'll read those on the next episode. People, uh, they kept it blurby. Yeah. So there we go. <laughs> that was really good. But uh, today's episode, we want to talk a little bit about uh, war, Iraq, Afghanistan. And Eddie, you recently had a great opportunity to go over there and uh, perform for the troops with Jeff Ross. You did a USO tour. It was bananas. I, I'm sure they fed you a lot of those as well. They did. Uh, not actually... You'd be surprised how few bananas they had over there. I wouldn't be that surprised. It doesn't seem like a banana nation. Yeah. Well, they, I, I didn't realize. You think the desert, bananas. I don't know why. What? Why would you think why the desert, it? bananas? I love bananas. I get that. <laughs> They're much more of a tropical there was fruit, one, don't you think? One place had bananas, and people went, Bananas. Yes. Oh, my God. Oh, over there, they said they go apples. Kind of a different place. (laughs) Not too many of them either. You know what I will say about Iraq? Cold and rainy. Huh. I wasn't ready for that. It was was very bizarre. Yeah, you usually think about the desert sun, the heat, uh, the overall exhaustion and and sweat. You're right. You don't really think of it it, uh, as a rainy uh, climate. Yes. We went over there. The whole tour was sponsored by the chairman of the Joint Chief of Staff, Mm -hmm. four-star general Joseph Dunford. Really cool dude. Like, I can't say, like, how nice and surprisingly liberal he was and it was uh it was very interesting to talk to him did you mention that your friends call you the chairman of the joint chiefs of staff uh but for <laughs> other reasons like a little weeds i'm like you get it man i like, get, it, get yeah. it i actually <laughs> hear that joke all the time i've, I've killed 30 people on the battlefield great joke ed Chief thanks some joints, you fucking idiot <laughs> got it who brought the fat whale who brought the fat whale so uh how are you doing cena i'm doing fantastic great and to be here can we break the news that you're in love and you're engaged <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah, we yeah. haven't really talked about it yet. Oh, we haven't. Yeah, I am engaged to my wonderful fiance. Oh my god, Cosmo. Yes, that's her name. Yeah, <laughs> you forgot the name. <laughs> Just look up into the sky; you'll remember it. Absolutely. <laughs> well, that's wonderful. So, yeah. congratulations. I am uh, off the market. Sorry, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> well, let's dogs and cats as well. Exactly. Yeah, why not? <laughs> Well, let's just dive in, uh, Eddie, and, and keep us uh, up to date on your trip and what happened over there throughout the episode. But yeah. uh, Cena, you know, obviously now we have President Trump, so yeah. you have to be terrified. Uh, your name is Cena, and uh, it'll be nice though to be registered with the government, I guess. And I will not shave my beard. And this Good. Is, this was a winter beard, and now it is a political statement, unfortunately. Well, that's kind of exciting, you know. I never get to make any political statements with my body. I can maybe paint a flag on my stomach and make it look like it's waving. Uh, that might be good for a parade or something. But uh, so what's your insight as a uh, first generation, um, I know you're not a Muslim American, but you, your parents were, and you identify as 
Iranian American. Yeah. No, your your religion. I always forget it. Oh, oh, oh I, I think it's just uh, atheist. Yeah, that's oh, it's atheist. Oh, but I, I mean, if you wanted to go old school, Zoroastrianism. That's what the one I wanted to hear. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, my mom is really into it now, and so is my dad. But I, I still haven't really got on board with it. Well, I was in a cab coming back from JFK after we did a live show in Boston, and the cab driver, who was so nice, I said, what religion are you? He said, Sikh, and I said, can I join? And he said, I could. Yeah. And then I got his phone number. I've been texting with him. So you're going to do Sikh? <laughs> I am going to do Sikh. What I love about the Sikh is you get a sword. Oh, they will give me one. They, you get a sword. Really? Awesome. Yeah. They'll give you like a sword, or maybe it's like a long knife. But I, uh, they all have swords because they're they're d- defenders. Yeah, that's right. It's a religion of peace. If yeah. you do it out of town, make sure you uh, mail it back. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Can't travel with it. Um, but Cena, what yeah. is your? Uh, we have January twentieth. We're about a week away from the inauguration of Donald Trump. Uh, no one really thought they would be saying that any time in our lifetime, uh, but that is the reality that we're currently living in. How do you feel, and uh, what are your thoughts on his policies towards uh, Muslim Americans and Muslims in general? I don't know if he has a policy towards them. I think he has talking points uh, about yeah, Muslim he, Americans. His policy is rile up the public. Yeah, his policies <laughs> are just as how can he be as combative as possible. I think every I've, I've watched a lot of these confirmation hearings, mm-hmm. and time and time again, every one of his cabinet officials that are up for uh, you know confirmation. They're, they're, they seem like somewhat reasonable people. They are all pretty conservative, but they're also within the range of reasonableness mm-hmm. that will not allow for some sort of like Muslim registration or any sort of like you know uh, <clears throat> destruction of NATO or or you know co-opting any sort of uh, international policy with Russia. Yeah, I mean, despite the nickname Mad Dog, James Mattis didn't seem that mad, uh, and he certainly wasn't a dog. He's a person. He's the most peaceful uh, guy God. in the whole cabinet. Well, they call him the Warrior Monk. Yes. That's he cool. said he said two things are America's biggest strengths. He said our power for intimidation yeah. and which is like our military strength. Right. And he said our power for inspiration. And I was like, oh, my God, this man is amazing. He's right, right though. He is right. And I've never – hearing it from a guy named Mad Dog, who's right. like a four-star or whatever general he is, he's he's this very serious man. He could kill someone with his stare. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and, indeed, he had, a, he had a very intense stare. Now, of course, uh, Donald Trump chose Mad Dog because he claimed he was the closest to General Patton in our lifetime. And, of course, when Donald Trump was campaigning, he regurgitated that same story. It is a lie, but it was a story that he refused to not tell – uh, regarding the, the final bullet uh, in, a, uh, in a situation where there was a series of Muslims that were murdered uh, by a uh, was it a U.S. soldier mm-hmm. and uh, and they kept one final bullet and they dipped all the bullets in pig's blood just to be uh, you know make sure that they're going uh, not to the place they want to go uh, in the afterlife. And uh, so that's sort of where Mad Dog came into the uh, into uh, t- Donald Trump's sphere was his association with General Patton, and his association with General Patton was relating back to this extremely racist story that he would tell on the campaign trail. Yeah, I don't know what we're gonna have to do about how Donald Trump talks about his cabinet members and talks about his policy, but the rhetoric that he does is going to, what my biggest fear is, is how it affects our culture. You know, Mm -hmm. if you go outside the country, if you go around the country, people are talking about it, and that's going to affect the emotion of the country and the the moral fabric of who we are. You know, our politics aren't the reason that kids in Japan wear our blue jeans. It's our culture, and that's what I'm really worried about. And, you know, it's the weirdest thing. He's going to be, I mean, Obama did it a little bit, and I've seen it with Hillary, but He's going to make a lot of money on merchandising, on, like, T-shirts and shit. People are going nuts. Oh, the American brand? I mean, politics are basically 100% reliant on branding, and that is what Donald Trump's strength is. Well, that's uh, what we've been saying is that we didn't elect a businessman, we elect a salesman. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and a damn good salesman at that, because he finally figured out after being bad at the real estate business and going through all the bankruptcies, he figured out what he's best at is selling himself. Yeah. And he sold himself to the mm-hmm. American public. Uh, and now we're going to have to see what that salesman does. That's can a good he do point. anything besides just sell himself and rile up the base? Because and, that's that's what he does. And we're going to have to see whether Americans are okay with that, if they're satisfied with just being riled up or if they will actually mm-hmm. demand something from his presidency. Well, you really hit the nail on the proverbial head there, Marcus. There's a great documentary on PBS. It's a four-parter. I just watched the first, uh, I watched the first one, and that's exactly what happened with Donald Trump. When all the uh, casinos went uh, belly up, uh, like many of the strippers that were working at them, um, 
The, the banks looked at Trump and they were like, we could demand our money, but they realized the Trump name had so much power and so much clout. They said, screw it. We'll bail him out uh, in the hopes that his branding, uh, just the Trump brand alone, will make it worthwhile. And that's what he's been relying on ever since is just himself. Mm-hmm. Man, I was down at Taj Mahal right before it closed down. I know it was run by Carl Icahn at the end and not Trump. But, you know, at the same time, they, they laid off fucking 3000 workers. And Atlantic City is not a pretty place right now. No. It is a really bad. They've lost 10,000 jobs in two years, Atlantic City. And it is it is going to hell. There's dogs in the street. It's, it's like, it's oh, dogs kind of, in the street. You say that like it's a bad thing. I would love, you, you just made <laughs> it, it sound like paradise. It is when they team up together. Like, oh, I see. Multiple dogs in a pack in the street. Well, yeah, when they start roving, yeah, that's yeah, yeah, when yeah, everything's yeah. going when bad. When their tits hit the pavement, <laughs> yeah. that's a bad sign. Yeah. I want to get back to your story about your USO tour. But before that, let's talk a little bit about Barack Obama. I mean, uh, this week... Uh, he gave his farewell speech, and then, of mm-hmm. course, he gave the uh, Congressional Medal of Honor to uh, to Joe Biden, uh, the highest honor, a civilian honor in the land. Uh, what did you think about his farewell speech? Was and it the Congressional Medal of Honor, or was it something else? It was the Medal of Freedom. Medal, Medal of Freedom. Freedom. Yeah. I apologize. No, okay, The Medal of Freedom, the number one civilian honor that a person can get. And Joe Biden, I mean, you got to love him uh, in many ways, although uh, there were a lot of people a bit upset that they were giving away prizes and awards to one another as the world burns around us. Uh, but that is what it is, and we have to respect <laughs> the traditions. <laughs> Fucking Biden did a great job. His kid died, and he's still vice president, and he's stuck in there. I mean, like, give him yes. the medal. He deserves it. For the for the just death because, of Biden. Just because Trump is going to be president doesn't mean Biden didn't do a good job. And of yeah, course, actually that- it does. It, it really does. Because Joe Biden, I think, had a duty to the American public. He had a duty to the American public to run for president. He's not healthy. Because he looked, oh, he's very healthy. He's fine. But he, he looked, he looked, no, 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 no. He didn't have a stroke at all. He's in fine physical shape. But I think that Joe Biden could have, I think he looked at what was coming up in uh, the next election. I think he, he looked at everybody and saw that none of them were great candidates, looked at himself, saw that he was a great candidate himself, but still chose not to run. I think Joe well, was, Biden owed something. though. It was personal. I think it was. I think it was personal, but I think maybe I'm just very angry that he is not president right of course. now. Yeah, and yes, I sure. think I a lot really. Of us are. Yeah, I think a lot of us are angry because if he would have won, or if he would have run, he would have won. I think easily. He, he said. I think he was on Colbert's show, or maybe it was still when Letterman was on. He said, you know, one of the reasons I'm not running is because I was at an event a few weeks ago and someone in the audience uh, served with my son and thanked me for, you know, whatever and just said how how much of an honor it was to serve with with my son. And, And Joe Biden was just like, I started crying on stage. And he said, after that event, I realized... I can't be president if I'm going to start crying if someone brings up my dead son. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. And I was like, man, I love this guy so much. It makes me want to cry. All right. Yeah. Oh, I mean, absolutely. he doesn't. He doesn't owe it to us. But you know. But I. I. I, I really am just still uh, angry that things worked out the way yeah. that they did. You of know. I, I think it was. A, it was a tragedy uh, that that his son died, and of course that had a, a huge effect on him. How did he uh, die again? Brain cancer. Ugh. Yeah, like, I think it brain up. cancer, like forty-eight or fifty-two or something like that. Very young. Well, let me let me pose. I just want to say, yeah. without Joe Biden, we would not have gay marriage passed with the uh, expediency that it did. Yeah. Uh, I mean, granted, <laughs> it was what two thousand eleven before it was even a mainstream yeah. idea by the uh, in the political level. Um, so that was a great accomplishment for the vice presidency. And the way that uh, Barack Obama trusted uh, Joe Biden was extremely unique. And I think he did uh, wonders for the institution of vice president because at the end of the day, there is no inherent power in the position the constitution is basically explicit where it's like you're meaningless uh, because the whole vp role initially was you put your <coughs> opponent into that spot in order to shut them up after you beat them in a general and of course it didn't work out too well uh, that's why we almost uh, you know that's why uh, we've had some uh, you know interesting um, presidents in the past but with with joe biden i think that he will be remembered very kindly in history yeah, absolutely. I, I think he's he'll definitely go down as one of the best uh, vice presidents we've ever had. I think a lot of people are going to wish he was he was president, but he's not done. It's not like we're, he's going to you know ride off in the sunset. I mean, he's going to be very is active. Going to keep I think. working? I thought he was done. I thought I he's think, retiring. I think he's got to retire. Him and Obama are going to be very active. They may not be formally doing anything, but they're going to be very active in, in the media and in, in policy making. But I want to go through uh, Obama's farewell speech a little bit. Did you get a chance to catch it, Marcus? I didn't get a chance to see it. Okay, no. so it was a uh, you know he's patting himself on the back quite. 
a bit. Certainly he gets a lot of uh, body blows and, and punches to the face, uh, you know, from opponents. So you got to pat yourself on the back every now and again. Talking about the economy and uh, specifically uh, uh, praising himself on social issues. Uh, Cena, you specifically, when it comes to him talking about Muslim Americans, uh, do you think he did enough? And if you look what happened with our, you know, as far as police reform, uh, Loretta Lynch uh, just gave a speech today with the uh, Chicago PD uh, proclaiming them to be, uh, you know, inherently racist or at least there's a systematic series of abuses that happened amongst the uh, minority population there. Do you think Obama actually did enough for the causes that he was so espousing during the 2008 campaign? I think one of the things that happened to him was that he came face-to-face with the idea that he may be the first black president, but he is also the president. And I think he has became more part of the power class and the upper echelons of what power is in this country, which has no race. It's just pure power as opposed to his own identity. And while he maybe tried to push forward some social issues, I think first and foremost, he was just a powerful guy. And that was reflected in both our Middle Eastern policy mm-hmm. uh, abroad with the drone drone strikes and some maybe of not uh, as progressive of a platform as president for some of these social issues, especially uh, law enforcement. Yeah. Well, and we talked about this on the last episode. Now Donald Trump is feuding with the CIA, and a lot of people are upset with Donald Trump for doing that. CIA I actually 2020. Don't mind CIA 2020, <laughs> know, baby. Yeah. Liberals love the CIA all of a sudden. I don't know what the <laughs> hell happened. love it. It's insane. I like that. I think the president, you know, don't they, does CIA always hate the president? Isn't that kind of how it goes? Well, Obama really sets a strange precedent with the CIA and their war uh, powers. They're basically in control of the war, uh, the drone war, which is mm-hmm. the main, that is his main, uh, you know, implement of destruction uh, in the Middle East. What do you feel about fighting with drones? I don't like fighting with drones. I yeah. think it's a very negative precedent, and I'm very concerned because, Marcus, we already see them happening here on a regular basis. They're so normalized now. I was over at Christmas, and, of course, my uh, my girlfriend's brother, he got a drone for Christmas, and it's just a big celebratory thing. It's just a bunch of peeping Toms in the, in the making. But yeah. do you think, like, but, but what about the fact that how many soldiers' lives it saves? I mean, yeah. really, the thing is about drones is that everyone is pretending like killing civilians is anything new. That America killing civilians using bombs from the air is anything new. Do you know how many Japanese we murdered? Vietnam. You know, in Vietnam, how many people we killed there? You know, how many Germans we killed many in the uh, bombing raids? Oh, how many Germans? We killed innocent Germans. Oh, my <laughs> we gotta stop these. We gotta stop this I damn aerial destruction. None of them were innocent, Ben. They were innocent. They were there. They watched they it were, happen. Oh, they, they were just trying it. to go oh, to the yeah, local no. fire to pull a book out and oh, hopefully read not some non America killing civilians and even, you know, Britain and other countries killing civilians from the air uh, is nothing new. And I actually, I don't know, I've never seen it, but I would actually like to see uh, a comparison of the uh, efficiency of bombing raids during World War II and drone strikes. But we also had ground troops when, when we had all those bombing raids. It wasn't just, we, we were substituting now, instead of fighting a ground war, instead of getting on the ground and, 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 and uh, you know, engaging people mm-hmm. on the ground, we're just flying drones over there. So what the difference was, before when the Iraq war started, we'd have ground troops there, we'd go up to these villages and say, hey everybody, there's going to be a bombing. We're going to be targeting this place, you guys should take cover. Then after the bombing, they would come, they would engage the community again. Now now we just got a drone strike that comes around. It's just like bombs them. And these people are like, wait a minute, what just happened? The sky yeah. just lit up for us and we're all screwed. Well, I mean, there's a great documentary. It's called Drone and yeah. uh, multiple other documentaries about this phenomenon. <laughs> and the saddest thing is when they interview the children of, uh, you know, Pakistan yeah. and, uh, you know, these innocent children in Iraq. And they talk about the only days they like are cloudy days because they can no longer see the drones above, even though the drones can certainly see them. Mm. Um, it really does set a, uh, a worldview from their perspective as Americans we are tyrants and we are the ever looming eye of Sauron like it is yeah. it's horrifying kind for them. of in a way though I mean like, at the same time there was just that uh I read in the news yesterday there was a ground strike and we killed 30 civilians and shot another 27. And that was two years ago through a ground. And so it's going to happen either way, you know, especially when you got people like ISIS who are fucking, you know, evil. Well, it's just the rules that apply in international warfare do not apply when the CIA are the ones implementing them and and being the main uh, aggressor in war. That was never the uh, supposed to be the purpose of the institution. So I think that that to me is really uh, dangerous. And I don't want to see a and now of course because 
the executive power has been expanded so expo- uh, exponentially under Obama. Now Trump has that same power. Uh-huh. And that's the scary thing. When someone is in office that you don't hate or someone that you mildly trust is in office, when they expand the power, we have to remember they're gone in four or eight years. And whoever else is coming in, they're not scaling that stuff back. Yeah, I mean, it's so just now like Trump the, has the full power of, of a drone army. It's just like the Democrats with the filibuster. Yeah. yeah. It was great when they were in power, but not anymore. They want that filibuster yeah. back now, I'll tell I you that. I always want the military to pull the trigger to kill someone outside of the United States. If Because I just believe they're that's what they do. And they know rules. what they're doing. Yeah, yeah, there's rules on which they do it. If everyone just did more what the military does, it would be a lot safer. A lot of rules of engagement. Well, now, Eddie, you were over there. Did you get into, uh, any insight from the troops about what they thought about modern war? Did they give you war? a gun? I mean, I, I, I did not get a gun, but I, uh, I, w- I, I will say, talking to the general, he really kind of opened my eyes a little bit about some of the things over there and right now uh the main reason we only have five thousand troops in iraq and not uh a hundred thousand like we used to before we left and then isis came up and killed everybody and uh the reason we only got five thousand now is because the main goal is to have iraq beat isis they want iraq to beat isis they have to beat isis because if we do it then as soon as we leave they're just going to take over again and so they need to substantially beat them so they gain confidence and then ISIS is a little bit scared of them so we're helping them that's why we only have like 5,000 and we're doing a little air support but that's it we're not really fighting too much over there except for in Mosul that's a fucking shit show well, you know, it's an interesting policy. Once they put in the um, basically America's second policy when it comes to the fighting the war, there's a great documentary, The Battle for Marjar. And all that really means is that uh, U.S. soldiers throw an Iraqi or a, uh, or a Pakistani through the door first. Yeah. And then they just, they just run in after them. Yeah. That's all that it really meant uh, in, a, in a tangible sense. Man, I, so, saw the, I met these uh, Iraqi counterterrorism specialists. They were fucking badass they were like Sylvester Stallone if he was you know Iraqi and uh, they just took an ISIS uh, camp uh, two days earlier and they had a flag and it was all dirty and fucked up and then they presented it to the general and it was very interesting they would only hold the flag upside down Mm-hmm. It's like it is a sign of disrespect, and when they were done with it, it like they went, to, you could tell they like went to fold it, and then he remembered what it was, and then he just crumbled it in a ball and handed it to the general like that. It was fucking badass. Yeah, <laughs> sounds pretty badass. It's very interesting. Yeah. So now with, uh, you know, so yeah, I guess we talked a little bit about uh, Obama. What do you think? Final thoughts on Barack Obama, his legacy. Uh, when it comes to the presidency, where does he rank in your guys' minds? Let's just do some sports style. Is he the top? He's definitely in the top 44, so that's good. <laughs> yeah. He's, that's not easy to do. Uh, what do you guys think? I, you got to put him kind of high up. I mean, he did he did some big things. I mean, he gave everyone health care. Even though it's getting stripped away, he did it. For a little while, it might not have been the best, but he's the first one to ever do it. And that's fucking cool. And we have friends whose lives were saved because of it. And so it's it's great. I think that is amazing. Gay marriage, amazing. What's happening with weed? Great. But like you said, Trump's president. Yeah, Trump's president. And I think mm. judging <laughs> no. a president, you can't judge a president until about a decade after. Right. Because you don't know the consequences of uh, his policies. You don't know what's yeah. going to happen. So you can't, I don't think you can, cut. you can't do a football style, okay, let's look at the entire, let's look at the game here and see uh, what went right, what went wrong. It's not that simple. You have to wait until those policies have a little bit of time to live and breathe. Well, I'm ranking him 15th. <laughs> 15th? 15th. Wow. Could do Yes. With potential to climb? With, there's always potential to climb. As Who's 16? Re- Who's 16? Lincoln? No. <laughs> Lincoln is 42. McKinley. No. Maybe uh, we got to go. Let's do. Well, no. I mean, I got to do Eisenhower very high. Uh, I would say <laughs> maybe uh, 16th. What do you think? For, what do you got for, Nixon? Nixon? Seventy-two. <laughs> well, he just had his one hundred and fourth birthday post mortem this week, so let's show a little respect. Nixon, you know, he's the he's top forty-four. 
Top 44. <laughs> well, so, yeah, not nearly as bad. Anyway, what do you think? The legacy uh, for, for Obama. I think there's been a lot. You know, the thing, the reason cynicism is how to, how I would defend or how I would uh, describe the main emotion um, promoting and, uh, and really providing the enthusiasm for Donald Trump. It was cynicism. Yeah. And I think it was a rubber band effect from Obama's hope and change message. If you listen to Trump talk on the campaign trail, he was so dark. I mean, it was like the lights were, were dimming with every word that he was saying. There was a moment uh, where the lights actually dimmed during one of his speeches, <laughs> and he said, this is great. This is good. He, he was like, I like this. I like this. Yeah, it was. So- there's a somberness to it, but then, of course, that uh, that cynicism would often uh, translate into anger and, and, and go in that direction because it was a direct uh, rebound of Obama's hope and change message. He ran uh, in a change election using the exact inverse message that Obama used, but I think it was because people didn't see the hope. Uh, they no longer see the hope, and they certainly didn't see the change that Obama promised. Um, so I feel like the, that really benefited somebody like a Donald Trump. Anyway, what are, what are your thoughts, Cena? Yeah, I, I think foreign policy-wise, I think they're going to lump him in with the last like three or four presidents of basically not doing anything all that well uh, mm-hmm. outside of the United States because our foreign policy has been, I think, pretty garbage over the last two decades. But I think domestically, he did a lot to kind of like push, push the needle forward. We started to modernize our government. Uh, when he came into <laughs> office— we didn't release any sort of data sets to anybody. We didn't have. We had all this information was locked down to the public. It is a very still fairly opaque government, but there's a lot more transparency than there was during the Bush years, and that's all because Obama was just like, "Hey, let's start getting some stuff out there." So there's a lot of there's a whole small cottage industry that's been using public data, which I think is a big leap forward. I think the the weed thing, I don't think is I wouldn't credit him too much with. That's more of a states' rights thing. Right. At least yeah. he didn't interfere, exactly. which was nice. Exactly, that yes. was the nice thing. He didn't he didn't make it a, a mission, which I'm a little worried about. What will happen now? But the economy, corporate profits are way up. That this doesn't necessarily help anyone on Main Street right now, and that's no. the other unfortunate part. So, yeah, I'd still what? put him in the top 12 or something. Why doesn't Obama – well, the economy, Higher we talked Kissel. about that. We, we talked about that. Uh, <laughs> he's a racist. He's, he's, <laughs> see, it's for racial reasons. Uh, I'll take it. We talked I'll a little bit it. about – it's mostly part-time jobs being created and things like that. So I think his economic uh, – the enthusiasm for his economic record is a little bit overblown. But when it com- why doesn't Obama – and we've got – We'll move on to Donald Trump after this. But uh, why doesn't Obama carry the burden of all the civil strife and unrest that was in this country over the uh, over the past eight years? He doesn't, no one ever blames Obama for for streets burning, the militarization. Uh, well, he of went the down police. and sang with the family. <laughs> that, that was it. <laughs> you know what, Eddie? You make people. a good point. He's nice saying with people. the fans. <laughs> why? I mean, if this Bush Lyndon got blamed, B. Johnson wasn't singing with people getting hit by a fire hose. Yeah, he I'll tell you that. Sing. He was too busy looking at this giant wang. <laughs> Lyndon B. Johnson. The, He's a he member <laughs> of the power class. That's the thing. He became. He, but he put the institution first. Bush got in trouble for Hurricane Katrina. I mean, obviously that was a mess up by FEMA, <laughs> but he can't control a hurricane. You know, but you can control what happens afterwards. And when you don't show up for forty-eight hours, you're a fucking well, asshole. Well, there was no way that he could have landed. I mean, Secret Service would have never let well, that don't happen. You, don't you think we started comparing? We start. We kept doing this thing with presidents that we we uh, ascribe this whole Superman thing to them. That were like right. these guys are the ones that are gonna. This guy is well, gonna fix you could, everything. With Hurricane Katrina, you could draw a direct line from the response of Hurricane. Katrina to George W. Bush because George W. Bush appointed Michael uh, appointed old Brownie for head of FEMA and Michael uh, or not Michael Brown but Brown was a fucking horse trader yeah that was what he did he was a horse trader he was a horse breeder and it was a sweetheart job and George W. Bush didn't think about oh shit maybe there might be a hurricane here even though he knew that New Orleans might be in trouble pretty fucking soon but there's no Mayor Nagin at the time there was a Mayor Nagin for New Orleans uh, New Orleans was so corrupt it was absolutely unbelievable and he was forced to resign because of how the the city handled Hurricane Katrina also I mean you have to handle those things on a sort of a local level and have those kind of he institutions went to jail. they were the one yeah uh, they were the ones who understood the real risk of a hurricane happening to New Orleans we don't think about that on a daily basis but if you're in if you're in a city a city council position or a mayoral position and you know for a fact that half of your city could easily be drowned by a hurricane maybe have a plan in place yeah, and I, not rely on FEMA no we can say Everybody fucked up on that. One. Yeah, absolutely. like a Hurricane but Katrina. They there blew were the levees. <laughs> <laughs> you think you think Bush blew the levees? I gotta go to these they meetings you're going them. to. Is there a last podcast episode about that? They blew the levees. <laughs> 
Um, but anyway, so uh, yes, so I, it just seems interesting to me that Obama never really had to carry. He didn't get demonized or criticized uh, as much as, as I think another president, uh, maybe more conservative president, would have uh, been criticized with all the turmoil on well, their watch. I think he got uh, you know a holder down there at Ferguson to to do an investigation on the you know police practices of Ferguson. And they mm. came out and said, "Hey, Ferguson police, you know that that whole place, awful racist. Yeah, there's two black guys. Yeah. It's like, hey, yeah. we just looked at some emails here, and uh, they're all racist meme jokes that are going around your police department. Sure. Well, I, you know, we have quite a few African American friends, and uh, <laughs> they'll tell you they'll tell you the black cops are the ones to be the most scared of. Um, so anyway, sometimes I mean, you know, it's just it's just good cops are there's good cops and there's bad cops. Yeah, but That's the, right. the black cops aren't on the racist email memes. They're not on the, like the they're not on the list of like, hey, here's like the. They, they don't say even, it straight to their face. They don't even BCC them or anything. <laughs> <laughs> That's not right. Okay, well, that's a perfect transition, a little conversation about uh, Barack Obama, and a great transition into what's happening now with Jeff Sessions. Uh, he will be the attorney general. It looks oh. like he's going to uh, to pass if he hasn't already. I believe he might have already, including Cory Booker, who I believe supported him. No, no, no. Cory Booker testified against him. Against him. Okay. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I, I think Cory, Mar- Marcus, can you Google what happened with Cory Booker? Cory Booker hates he, his he ass. He voted, he, he, did, he did what you're not supposed to do in the Senate, and he testified against. Right, I know that. But then he also voted against the... The Bernie Amendment last night about importing was, drugs. Yeah, importing was, drugs, uh, pharmaceutical drugs from uh, uh, Canada. Which so is, because Cory Booker gets uh, six figures from two hundred and seventy some thousand dollars. Yeah, that's I mean, correct. Yeah, Cory Booker. God fucking damn it. Yeah. Who the <laughs> give me someone to trust? It's so aggravating. I think there were what 12, 12 Democrats voted against the bill. Really? Because they get money from the pharmaceutical industries. Elizabeth Warren is all that we got left. I think. Oh my god, yeah. I hate it so much. Follow the money. Follow the money. Anyway, back back to policing and back to war. Um, that was it. I apologize for my ignorance on that. I knew that he testified against him, but then I just saw everyone be like, "Call Cory Booker and tell him he's wrong," and I just um, assumed that that was that. I didn't do a research on that, what? and I apologize. Um, but with Jeff Sessions, the police uh, are very happy with him. He's much more pro-police uh, um, than Eric Holder. And uh, although I think, you know, Eric Holder, at the end of the day, he's still... He's still... He's pro-police. He's pro-police, yeah. yeah. There's he a just great, doesn't want to see people shot in the fucking street. There's a... Well, and I don't even... Yeah. There's a great documentary. Uh, now all I'll do is reference documentaries, but do not resist. Remember we watched... No, I was watched, uh, I was with uh, Brooke. Watched that on another airplane. I'm watching <laughs> a lot of movies. You just confused me with your girlfriend. I just talk at both of you. <laughs> so I don't even... On, the, on airplanes, like, uh-huh. Mm. <laughs> Yeah, uh-huh. I could wake up in bed with you one day. I don't know. We were just talking. I was talking at you. Uh, but do not resist uh, a great documentary about uh, the 1033 program and all the problems uh, that we're dealing with with that. Jeff Sessions is going to be much more pro-cop, or at least the narrative of him will be more pro-cop. Do you think that this is going to lead to, uh, I mean, what's what's that world? What Can you project what that world's going to look like um, if we do have somebody who isn't going to come down on, on like, you know, the Chicago PD, who I actually have a month's amount of sympathy for as well. I mean, it's a, it's a, it is a war zone. It is uh, a war and they zone. Are, they are not equipped for but it. But they also helped create that fucking war zone. I'll tell you, man, it is, it is a nightmare down there. And they're just down there fucking shooting people and they ain't going to fix it. You know, it's nuts. The, how many, how many, the, I don't know. I, obviously, I don't know the numbers, but, but again, what was it? it 700, oh my God. 700 people got killed down there this year? Oh, I think even In more Chicago? than that. Yeah. Uh, and it's like 3,000 were shot? Like January. a really ridiculous number of people were shot. It was almost like eight people a day were shot yeah. in Chicago. I think New Year's Eve, it was like Christmas murders or something. Were killed on, you know, it's just like, it's Killed crazy. on Christmas. That sounds like a fun Lifetime movie. Uh, and then, of course, the person comes back as a ghost and you find true love. Um, but they're down there. They, to- they, none of those guys live there. None of those cops live in Chicago. They all live outside of town. No, it's but, like I mean, a copland situation. But you can't blame the officers for being told where to go. And when they get into those institutions exactly. or uh, you know uh, locations, they're completely unaware of the situation. And you know, the last time a Republican was held office uh, in uh, Chicago was a year before sliced bread was invented. I mean, this has been a one-party town for far too long, and that's why you know they call it the Windy City, not because of the wind. It's because of the corrupt politicians. Yeah. And so it's the Democrats who have to have a lot of blood on their hands regarding the problems in Chicago. For the record, I wasn't blaming the cops. I was blaming the people who 
are in charge of the police. Why do you hate the cops, Eddie? Eddie, <laughs> he looks like a cop. cop. Eddie, you're the cl- you you're the- are a cop. <laughs> no, but seriously though, I mean, I've said it. I've said it to you a million times. Community policing, and they don't yeah. do it at all there. You know, if they know that this guy is just a crazy asshole, they don't have to shoot him. You know, but if you don't know him and you're fucking terrified because three thousand people got shot last year, you're gonna pull your gun out as soon as you see somebody because you're fucking think you're gonna die. Yeah. And I now think- the jails are also um, occupying so many people or being occupied with so many people with mental health problems that were never intended for that purpose. Cena, and I, I agree with you with a lot of points you were mentioning, Ben. I think that we have institutional problems. Cops are the edge of the sword, right? You need to start thinking about the actual armor and the person holding the sword, and that's the institution of law enforcement and how they go and give the orders to the police officers, how they're creating a culture of policing in Chicago. And to your point, Eddie, yeah, it is a lot like Copland. If you have more community policing, that'll also help. If you rearrange how certain drug laws are are done, right? So then all of a sudden, if there's a fight and there's not an escalating factor of someone just having weed on them, all of a sudden, just a simple you know assault charge isn't e- escalated to assault with possession. So now you're you're putting someone in prison for a lot longer than than they necessarily should sure. be. Not just that, give them a felony. They can't vote and. No. They can't become a cop. And they can't have any sort of like public assistance of any kind if they're a felon. So there's all these different things that end up being sort of like a trickle down or like a domino effect when you don't have institutions that are innovating, right? And the reason for that, Ben, to your point, is because it's been a one-party town forever. So and- – yeah, Jeff Sessions. Now he's called racist by many people. I don't think he's from South Alabama, and he looks the way he looks. A and bastion I think, oh, of the, liberal, the, of the, liberal the, the, progressive. He's got fire hose hands. <laughs> so when, when you, I mean, just say when you hear someone be like Jeff Sessions is racist, you look at him, you're like. Uh, benefit of the doubt. He's uh, got maybe. 12 dogs. He's racist. Jeff Beauregard. Beauregard yes. Sessions. And it's, uh, actually, it's Jefferson. Jefferson Beauregard oh Sessions the third. Jefferson yeah. Beauregard Sessions the third. In high school, they call him the noose. Uh, <laughs> you can get away with it, Cena. That's fine. The, one of the reasons they call him racist is because he was against repealing the law where it made crack cocaine 100 times more punished. Yeah. It's 100 to 1 of crack versus powder cocaine, and he was against uh, reforming that and he has come out and, and talked publicly about his hatred of marijuana he hates weed yeah I don't know what the hell we did he to had him. one bad weed experience yeah. when he was younger and all the boys made fun of him for it for years after probably yeah, oh, he just got he like a, one of those weird like weed boners just got a boner just got a boner Shut up, guy. <laughs> oh, Beauregard, you horny? <laughs> yeah. oh. I fucking hate that guy, man. <laughs> yeah, why, well, why Why? do you hate him? Explain it to me. Because he's probably in the KKK. Well, I mean, we can't just throw these labels around. He's yeah. probably doing it. He actually, as, yeah. a matter of fact, as a matter of fact, he, I know it is fun. He actually dismantled the KKK in Alabama. There was a, a, a massive um, court case, one of his first uh, jobs as a prosecutor, and he really did did some wonderful things in That's dismantling good. the KKK in Alabama. But then, like- of course, he also prosecuted a lot of people who, uh, of, of people of color who were possibly innocent or at least being overcharged. Pretty sure they're still down there. <laughs> What's so- that? The KKK. The KKK? In no, no, Alabama? no. They're in D.C. now. They're everywhere. <laughs> they moved. They're moving on up. I'll there's, give you their address. 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. <laughs> you know, there's more of them. Uh, there's more KKK, cha- KKK chapters in California than any other state. That's a big state. I mean, California's very big. It's gigantic. <laughs> but they're more than Texas. Who would have thought? But, Cena, you are a lawyer. Ugh. So talk about this other lawyer, so Jeff one Sessions. So one of the things that uh, I think that's interesting about Jeff Sessions is that he kept saying in his confirmation hearing that he would follow the law, that he would follow the law, mm-hmm. that he would follow over and over and over again. And one of the things that's interesting is that the 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 chief cop, the chief attorney, the biggest lawyer in the country isn't just following the law. He is the one that looks the law and says, hey, guys, this is what this word means, and this is how we're going to enforce this law because I'm telling you that this word means this. And what he also said was Congress needs to be more specific on how they write bills. Bro, people have been saying that for three decades, four decades. We've right. all, since the beginning of the of times we've had Congress, we've been saying they should be more specific. What worries me is that we don't need an attorney general to follow the law. That's the bare minimum of what an attorney general is supposed to do. They are going to lead our country and manage 
manage how the law enforcement community of our country interacts with the public. And that's where the culture is going to start happening. And that's where we create this really, really, you know, fear-based culture for a lot of people that are very vulnerable to, to, to the laws here. Okay, Eddie, what do you think? I don't fucking perfect, I mean, Eddie. Thank you. I don't you. know anything about Jeff Sessions. <laughs> oh, to be honest with you, I just know I'm. I don't like him. I don't like his face, and I don't. You know, that's to be honest. Like that's how I feel about him. Well, yeah. he's got he's got little ears, doesn't he? Yeah. Um, well, let's move on a little bit. Well, one well, more. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, I, I mean. Uh, the attorney general like has, actually does have a lot of power besides just interpreting the law. I mean, let's not forget what Janet Reno did with Waco. Yes. Oh, yeah. Oh. I, I mean, the, the attorney general has a lot of power here. Uh, so someone like Jeff Sessions with the power to, to send people into places that they don't necessarily like on pretexts that are pretty fucking flimsy is dangerous. Yeah, I that's mean, very what, dangerous. That's uh, Holder's Justice Department did the exact same thing. I mean, so I don't, I don't. You don't think that maybe he might? Yeah, I'm not saying that. I mean, that yeah. it, it's not a negating thing here. Yeah, I no, mean, no, I'm I not saying. I'm saying like that's the kind of power that we are handing to Jeff Sessions. Yes, yeah, if right, he right, wanted right, to right. break up Black Lives Matter march, he can do it. You know, it's. One of the yeah. things that I think is interesting is if you look back, uh, maybe a clip probably online somewhere, Al Franken asking Jeff Sessions some questions about the number of civil rights cases that he worked on. And yes. Al Franken did his best, like, Columbo impression, basically. And he's like, I'm not a lawyer. I'm, I'm no lawyer. <laughs> I, I don't understand some of these uh, words you use. Surveillance tape. The bushes, you noticed they weren't cut. <laughs> yeah. uh, and so he kept saying, like, when you file a case, does that mean you led the case? And Jeff was like, "Well, I don't, I don't, I don't, I'm, I can't be sure." He said, "Well, it says, says here. I mean, maybe <laughs> I'm, I'm not a lawyer. <laughs> I'm not a lawyer, but it says twenty to thirty. You said you did, but I, I just, I don't know. I just, do you know where they are? Did you file? I don't. <laughs> yeah, and he did get Jeff Sessions to admit that he had much less than twenty or thirty. Yeah, just a few, or a number, yes. and it was so. Gr- I mean, it was like vintage Franken. There. I love him. Yeah." I mean, you know, we watched hours of those Senate hearings, and I got to say, as a political nerd, fun theater, but substance, extremely lacking. Uh, there was really nothing. I mean, at one point, Lindsey Graham, who I don't even hate, I think he's been a fine statesman, certainly by today's standards. I agree. Um, asked, he said, he said a series of complaints against Jeff Sessions, and then his final sentence was, tell me why I'm wrong. Yeah. <laughs> and then he's, just like, yeah. and then he's like, you're wrong. He's like, good point. <laughs> uh, which was, it was interesting but to say the least. Some of them were good. I like watching those because there's a lot of things that some of those senators say that they don't get a chance to say like on TV news or anything like that, and they come out and they just start going like a, like a two-minute rant, and then they do kind of what you were just saying, and it's like, uh-huh, what do you think? And they're like, I agree, Sen- I agree, Senator. Like, all right, next. Perfect. I Got yield it. my time. <laughs> well, you you mentioned television news, and do we have a little time to go there? We do. Let's get there just for for a moment. As all of us are entertainers, all of us uh, make a living through talking. Um, what do you guys think about Donald Trump and his? Oh. He he stole this notion of fake news from Hillary Clinton, if you recall. Yes. Hillary talking about the email scandal and a whole series of other uh, scandals that were sort of eroding her chances of being the uh, move. the president of the United States. Called it all fake news. Donald Trump, like he has done with everything, you know, like a like a Hoover vacuum, sucked it up, and now he is uh, proclaiming CNN, New York Times to be fake news. The ultimate irony is this is a man, Donald Trump, who called Alex Jones the day after he won the nomin- or won the election, thanking him. Alex Jones believes juice boxes makes kids gay, so he's not all fake news. Sometimes he's right. Um, <laughs> but I mean, that's just that's just the insane that's the insane world that we're living in now. Well, he's and got of the course, fucking guy from National Enquirer. Right? Riding on his plane all the time. They're the, best buddies. They were best buddies. National Enquirer, one of the only publications to endorse him. They're still looking for that ghost ship on the bottom of the ocean as well, so I hope they find that. Um, he just shot it down Jim Acosta, a CNN mm-hmm. uh, reporter, told him to shut up, shut up your fake news. What do you think this says? I mean, to me, I got, I got chills a bit. This is the next president of the United States shouting down a reporter. Uh, discredited him by calling him fake news. CNN. Where do we go? I mean, like, and CNN, you know, the, they, they arguably a, the biggest news provider in the world. But you know, television. I don't think Trump is wrong uh, in in de, uh, <laughs> describing CNN as less than accurate factually. They certainly, if it bleeds, it leads. And they're the ones, ironically, that gave him twenty five million, thirty million dollars of free press. They loved yeah. having him on. Um, so, what do you guys think, Marcus? Your thoughts on on the president elect? 
t- telling a national news network they're fake news. Number one, BuzzFeed fucked up. Mm-hmm. Okay, BuzzFeed why? fucked up really bad because it was so unsubstantiated. It was so this outlandish. Is this is PP Gate. The whole the the dossier yeah. that they released. Ugh. They fucked up so bad because right now I believe that the president and uh, and the press there is a chess game going on right now between the president and the press and BuzzFeed should not be on the board. Mm. They do not know what they're doing because on the BuzzFeed side, you've got somebody throwing something out there that could possibly have been a 4chan prank. And on CNN side, you have Carl fucking Bernstein. Right. You do not need BuzzFeed on the board because what they did is they showed the hand way too early because CNN is building a case right now. All these real journalists are building a case for something that could very well be one of the biggest scandals that the United States has ever seen. It could be nothing. And you're and better not be involved in it. That's <laughs> yeah. all I know. It could yeah. be it could be nothing. All this Russian stuff, it could sure. be nothing. It could be uh, overblown. It could be played for ratings. You know, we don't know yet, but the fact is there was a case being built and BuzzFeed fucked up Mm. because they put out this unsubstantiated thing that Trump could go on and say fake news, fake news. So now you've already got this whole story in the minds of Trump supporters in the minds of people somewhere in the Mm. middle. You've got them already thinking that Trump plus Russia equals fake news. Isn't that wild? And I mean, I actually put that out on Twitter. I was like, Donald Trump lost all credibility with fake news when he called Alex Jones. And I got multiple tweets being like, Alex Jones is more real news than CNN and New York Times. It's a crazy world. Yeah. But where do you, I mean, as an entertainer, uh, Eddie, you know, you're close with Jeff Ross and comedians in general. Uh, what, what does this mean? I mean, it's our duty. No one trusts the news anymore. So people are going to be listening to our opinions more than ever. And so, like, I, I saw a comedian last night, Rob Hayes. I never see, I never met him before, and he's just, like, a normal-ass dude. And he wants to tell jokes about chicken and shit and Chick-fil-A, and, you know, <clears throat> and he wants to just be fun, but you can't anymore. You have to talk about this shit because no well, one can deal with it. Everyone needs to hear about it. I got to say, though, I blame a little bit of the comedy community and a little bit of the left. The fake news phenomenon started with The Daily Show when a, mass, when a huge majority of people of our of our millennial generation. I'm on, I'm still a millennial, right? Yeah. Okay. Nah. Uh, OG millennial. <laughs> OG, OG, yeah, original. I think 83 is the cutoff. Yeah, I'm still a millennial. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. January what 1993. Uh, you can, I can be the representative of the oldest of my generation. <laughs> Very the cool. Elder statesman millennial. <laughs> but when people started taking uh, you know, shows like The Daily Show, seriously as opposed to recognizing them there was no standards and practices you know our friend Michael Che was telling us they would interview these people for eight hours and they would completely cut up the interviews and make them look however you want to look I think that was one of the beginnings of this fake news phenomenon I don't know if I blame necessarily the the comedy community as much or the daily show as much as just what are the motivations of big media companies Mm. and they have set themselves up for this in a way where they didn't you know truth and good reporting was never a financial incentive for any of these news organizations. Yeah. Their shareholders make money from clicks and eyeballs and Nielsen ratings and mm. all of these different things. That's how they make money. And if you look, a great example is Fox News. Mm. Light on news, high on entertainment. And Mark- that's why we're the, they're the best. Marcus and I was the day after or two days after the uh, Fort Lauderdale shooter. Mm-hmm. CNN has covered it. MSNBC has, MSNBC has covered it. I look over to see what Marcus is watching. It was a person training to ride a bull. On, uh, <laughs> <laughs> in, ti- was- in Times Square. <laughs> yeah. That is good. I got to defend Fox News. That's what I want to see. Yeah. Exactly. And that's and, and how can you go and try to be the third estate that everyone wants wants the journalism community to be when they go and they have to do entertainment like that all the time? And, of course, the lead-up to the Iraq War heavily, uh, you know, um, just, uh, I guess. Oh, yeah. Um, well, we got, they, got, they got hosed. They, I mean, they just loved it. I mean, it was the lead-up to the Iraq War. They, they they made it look so glorious and wonderful, all the flashy cards and everything. And then you got, you cut to commercial, and it's all sponsored by Northrop Grumman, yeah. uh, which made billions of dollars off the Iraq War. Well, I think the, the whole fake news thing is that I think really it starts with the onion, unfortunately. Mm. Uh, because I think it's, oh, yeah, it starts well it starts with the onion and I remember a few years ago there being this uh, website that cropped up that was collections of people on Facebook posting onion articles thinking that they were real <laughs> oh and it was, there was that senator it was very, who posted the abortion clinic yeah, one, the abor- yeah the abortion clinic 3000 or something and it was <laughs> we all laughed and we thought it was very funny it's like look at these idiots but there was another segment of the population that thought holy shit 
I can make money off of this. Yeah. A lot of smaller yeah. people had said, okay, these people are sharing these stories thinking that, they're, thinking that they're real. What if we brought it a little bit closer to the truth while still calling it, quote unquote, satire? Right. Then how many, how many clicks am I going to get? How much ad revenue can I get? And there was a guy right after the election uh, that was talking to, uh, I think it was the New York Times, uh, and he said, holy shit, I think this is my fault. He said, I didn't ever think that this... He's like, I never took this seriously. I just saw people sharing all of these articles, and I never took it seriously. He's like, I was just taking advantage of idiots, and I was getting clicks on it. And there are a dozen people like him. It's all greed. You know, it's just people manipulating other people, and that's part Mm -hmm. of how we got to... I mean, and that's the thing, is that you've got people on the small side manipulating other people. You've got people on the big side with Fox News and MSNBC manipulating people. All it is is that I think people, especially Americans, are manipulated so much on a daily yeah. basis through yeah. so many different avenues mm-hmm. that we don't know who the fuck we are anymore. We don't know who we are. We don't know where we are. We don't know what we want. All we know is that everything feels like shit all the time and we don't know what to do about it. Well, and, and that's your economic argument. Sina, as a lawyer, which you are, and you worked very hard to become a lawyer. Thank you. Um, <laughs> I just got tired def- hearing that. <laughs> who defines what fake news is, right? Because the truth mm, is subjective at the end of the question. day. Uh, and now we have the executive branch. He was going to think that CNN is fake news. Obviously, Obama wouldn't argue that. He would argue Fox News is fake news, and both of them are right to some degree. What does it mean if we have a president? I mean, is this going to lead to uh, the restriction of Internet? Uh, you know, will net neutrality, uh, you know, actually, uh, uh, will it pass? You know, I mean, what, what do you think this is going to look like in a tangible uh, sense when it comes to policy? Well, I think uh, if I mean the worst case scenario is Congress passes a bill that defines what journalism is. I think that mm-hmm. that'll probably be in the on its face look like something good that we have like a bedrock of understanding of what journalism is. But then the executive branch enforces that law, which is the scary part, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it goes from this is what journalism is to this is what journalism is. <laughs> <laughs> and one of the things I, I want to bring up as just more of like a contextual broader point is what General Mattis also said in his uh, hearing yesterday was that. This a country is an experiment, this great experiment in, in self-governance. And one of the things that I'm taking away is almost like a, a, a brighter side, Eddie, yeah. is that we're hopefully going to learn a lesson from this election, that as a country we're going to learn that fake news and we're going to learn about like authoritarianism and learn about our cynicism in a way that we've never been confronted with before, and then hopefully we can take that lesson and move forward as a country because we are a great experiment, but we have to remember it is an experiment, and we're going to fuck up a lot. Yeah. Well, and let's and let's just conclude with that final question because you guys do host the great show Brighter Side. Is the, What's the brighter side uh, to uh, Donald Trump being elected? And uh, I'll tell you what's, what's the brighter side to reality right now? With this news thing, I mean, when did we like it's the weirdest thing because we've always hated the news. Yeah. We've always hated them. But now we feel like we have to stick up for them because we don't want them to get completely ripped out, but it's also like, yeah, CNN does suck. I took the well, app off the my phone, you know, like they, you know, all they do is report on missing airplanes and like maybe Donald Trump I mean not maybe. He definitely went overboard with the fake news and calling CNN fake news in front of the whole country and that kind of sucks because no one's ever going to believe them again from that side. But uh, it is going to help keep these fuckers in check now. They're going to have to cross their T's a little more. It's going to be interesting yeah. to see what happens after this. All right. Um, yeah, brighter side of Donald Trump's presidency. The media gets kept in check. I think is the that media your brighter needs side? to be kept in check. I mean, the brighter side of Donald Trump's presidency, I, I, who knows? There's no way to know what's going to happen. The bright, he might not do anything, and that would be the brighter side if he just sat there. That's the, only, that's the best we could hope for is that he mm-hmm. just decides not to work. <laughs> well, I don't. He seems like he likes to work in his own strange, unique way. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's got his own way of working. Yeah. Uh, yeah. His, I mean, his, his delegator. Yeah, it's PR, you know, like that. Mm-hmm. That's that's his way of working. I mean, it's just going to be. I, I think what we might see is uh, that the left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing a lot of times uh, mm. with Donald yeah. Trump. 
the bright side, the brighter side of, uh, I mean, it's, you know, Tina, what you said, I mean, that's something that I've been saying on this show for a long time, that this, the America, America is an experiment, is that it is ongoing at all times. And the fake news thing is that, in fact, the reason why we are where we are today in American journalism is because of fake news, but it was way, way, way back when. It was in the 1800s where everybody started putting out papers saying whatever the fuck they want. So that's actually fake news is where the concept of objective journalism came from. Uh, so it's very possible that we could come back to that point. And, you know, maybe, maybe we come back to that point where we get back to objective journalism, where we actually tell people uh, what's going on. You know, yeah. who knows? Maybe we get another Murrow. Maybe we get another Cron- Cronkite. Uh, maybe that's where we head back towards. And maybe we go right to the brink, right to the brink of disaster in this country Could the be. whole fucking thing falling apart uh until everybody gets together and says like no america is a wonderful place and worth fighting for yeah. i mean i do think the notion of um non-partisan uh media institutions is a bit of a farce i mean alexander hamilton and thomas jefferson started the two main papers and they definitely were uh, agenda based um i would say the brighter side is uh, you do have like general mattis and um uh, I think Rex Tillerson. There are people who disagree with Donald Trump when it comes to his foreign policy, and uh, I think the brighter side would be if there was a mutual understanding and perhaps you get something um, in the middle, a, a mix of both. Because right now Donald Trump is so in love with Putin, but you listen to Mattis talk, and in no way yeah, does he exactly. reflect any of what Donald Trump's policies would yeah. be in a perfect world. So you uh, like the Exxon world. guy? I don't mind Rex Tillerson. No, yeah. I, don't, I don't mind him. Um, I mean, yeah, he's. He, I think he'll be. He, he'll be fine. I watched his Senate hearing confirmation. What did you think? Uh, he was. He, I, I. I watched a lot of YouTubes of him before doing interviews and speeches, and he was a lot better in those previous things than he was in the confirmation hearing. I think he got a little spooked uh, about the Russia stuff. I don't think he performed very well, but. You know, yeah, that's you, what you want from your Secretary of State is <laughs> easily spooked. Yeah. Well, I mean, especially by Russia. Yeah, they, okay. but he's not a Scary. fanatic. He's, he's not, not an ideologue. He's 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 not a terrible human being. He's I, for the Iran deal, and yeah. I mean, he disagrees with Trump on a lot of stuff. It, that's and that's the thing that I think is good is that you yeah. have people surrounding Trump that disagree with him, and that Trump does listen to the people that are around him because he is so insecure. Let's remember that this is yeah. a very insecure man. And mm-hmm. that's why he acts the way he does. And he needs people to kind of say, hey, you'll be okay. People will like you if you say this. Right. So, yeah. So the brighter side is uh, rational minds prevail in that administration. Well, yeah. And so. regardless if they're, if they're you know, in line with your politics or not, at yeah. least if they can just be rational, exactly. that's all we can really ask for. It's cool that this. Bernie Sanders is a superstar now. It is. Yeah. yeah he, he gave a fun town hall <laughs> at, uh, for CNN and. Yeah. yeah, too bad uh, what happened with him. Um, all right, well, thank you guys so much for coming Before on the show. Before we go, can I, I just want to say something real quick yeah. about the troops and everything that I saw over there. It really kind of changed my my views on all of this stuff. And it really, because I was always very anti-war, very anti-everything. And I'm still not pro, I'm not pro-war, but the one thing that you forget is that you could be anti-war, you could be pro-war or whatever, but it's, you know, you should never, we have to take care of these soldiers and these vets. And they're getting the shit end of the stick, and I learned a lot of things over there. I saw the way that they were living outside of Mosul, 15 miles outside of Mosul, living in piles of mud. In concrete, They had concrete squares that were five and a half feet tall. Mm. You couldn't even stand up in your own bed with two be- in, just because sometimes they get shot at while they're sleeping, so they have to live in concrete bunkers. And there's the tents of like 20 tents of 100 bunkers, and it's just people living on top of people everywhere, and then you walk out the front door, and it's just mud and gravel, and it's fucking terrifying, and it's it's all lined around, and I will never complain about anything ever again after seeing the way these guys live, and they're depressed, and it's hard to live out there, and they keep their spirits up the best they can, but it is, it is it changes you, and it will always, and it, they are different, 22 veterans or current soldiers kill themselves a day Hmm. and there is not enough help for these people i agree i don't know what you can do or what anyone just give any way you can because these people are fighting for us whether you believe it or not they're putting their lives on the line for us and they need to be treated well when they get back here well hopefully the republicans can live up to their love of the troops and now they control the uh, they control congress so uh, if they can get some va reform that would be great 
It would yeah. be wonderful. Um, all right. Well, check out The Brighter Side on Cave Comedy Radio. Are you guys releasing this episode under your name also? No. Uh, I think we're just doing it under you. Oh, okay. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, we'll check that out on CCR. And uh, what do you guys want to do with... I'm not verified on Twitter. I tried to get verified and Twitter told me no. How did you get verified? You, no, asked, I, I, you, you asked again? Yeah, you yeah. asked them and they told me I was too tall. Uh, oh, they did. Yeah, yeah, was, yeah. They too- asked me for a recommendation. I just said, hey, I think he's too tall for verification. Yeah, exactly. So uh, how many? So you got to wait a long. You ask again a little bit. I don't know. They hate me. I, I don't know what happened. What did you, you do? Nothing. I do not. I don't even fight on social media. I'm so nice on social media. Um, all right, but Eddie, you're on Twitter at yes. Eddie Tunes. Eddie underscore. underscore. Yeah, and then uh, Instagram uh, as the same. Please uh, and join the Butterside yep. page uh, on Facebook if you don't mind and, and, and rate us and give us some love. Uh, we could use it right now. Absolutely, Cena at Cena John. I am verified on Twitter. Although Ben has <laughs> Ben has like ten times as many followers as I, I do, know what to do. What great. am I supposed to do? I, I kind of want to try today. <laughs> yeah, You're going to really... get verified too. That's going to be so <laughs> embarrassing. <laughs> but uh, yeah, at Cena John, also on Instagram. And that Facebook page for Brighter Sunday is a lot of fun. It's a lot of positivity. You need it more than ever. Uh, and uh, I can't wait for 2017. It's going to be an exciting and challenging year. Be good to yourself, goddammit. All right. And you can find Marcus Parks at Marcus Parks on everything, right? Yep. I'm Ben Kissel and Ben Kissel one on Instagram, Ben Kissel on Twitter. Find me. And thank you guys so much for listening. Rate and review. And we'll talk to you soon. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to cavecomedyradio.com. Hey mom, first things first, thank you. It's my one year anniversary of my decision to say, yes, I need help, and yes, I choose me. And that's the miracle. I'm lucky that the strongest person I know is my own mother. Love you mom, Maxwell. Be that strong person who makes the difference. If your loved one is struggling with drugs and alcohol, reach out to Karen for a different kind of addiction treatment. Visit caron.org slash lost. Is America's primary system working? Is the Electoral College still the best process for electing a president? Could a third-party candidate ever be successful? In a new season of You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen gather the country's top experts to explore these issues and more as we approach the 2024 presidential election. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available now wherever you get your podcasts.